we're kind of going through the whole Gospel of John. It's kind of fun. So uh, we're in John chapter 18. Uh, my title uh, tonight, uh, Jesus is Unwavering. Jesus is Unwavering. We're kind of in a, a big old series about who is Jesus. So Jesus is Unwavering. All right. John chapter 18. We skipped two chapters. Uh, you know, last week we, or sorry, we skipped, yeah, two chapters. Last week we did uh, 15 uh, through 16 and 17. We'll talk about that in a minute. But John chapter 18, uh, jump on over to verse uh, 15, verse 15. And then, um, and I'm going to read through verse uh, 27. And then I'm going to go into the context of what's going on. And then we're going to break it down for us. Okay. I'm excited about this. This is a good word. This is a good word. Okay, John chapter 18, verse uh, 15. Uh, let me do context right now, real quick. Uh, this, is the, this is the night of Jesus' betrayal. Okay, this is the night of Jesus' betrayal. And, and during this time, uh, in John uh, 15, we read where Jesus was, we don't know if he was sitting, um, we don't know if Jesus was sitting uh, at dinner time when he talked on John 15, or if he just left, or if he was walking out of the house. But we do know that in John uh, 14, that they took the uh, communion as, uh, as the disciples. Jesus taught them what communion was, and they took it together. And, um, and so in John 15, he talks about him being the true vine. We talked about that last week. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the true vine? And, and during this time, uh, in John 14, okay, in John 14, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, um, they're all eating food, okay? There's 11 dudes sitting around a table, and they're eating grapes and drinking wine and eating bread and eating other things. You following me? And as they're sitting there eating, you can read it in Matthew 26, and you can read it in Mark chapter 14. As they're sitting there eating, Jesus says the most encouraging thing anybody could ever hear, Okay? He looks at him and goes, guys, you're all going to fail. And he grabbed some bread and ate it, you know. <laughs> True story. Uh, you're all going to just completely fail. Just, you know, and then between the next phrase he said, he probably got some bread and dipped it in some juice. Because that's what you do, you dip bread in juice. You know, that's what you do back then. Uh, but in, in, during, this, during this time of eating, they're all excited. You know, John, John the Beloved, who, who wrote the Gospel of John, has his, has his head on Jesus' heart. So Jesus is sitting there, and John's laying on his chest, and the other disciples are all talking. They're just sharing life together, and, and they're eating bread. Jesus just took communion with them. He said, hey, you know, this is my blood, and this is my body. And, oh, just, just so you know, you guys are all going to fail tonight. Yeah. There's going to be an awkward silence, you know, for a few minutes. And then if you keep reading, the Bible says instantly they all start arguing with each other about who's the greatest. Instantly. I, I, I will never fall away. My goodness. And then Bartholomew looks at Peter and says, well, I mean, I mean, you might fall away. 
never going to fall away. Peter goes, all right, I got to say something. Because they're arguing. They're bickering. Literally, since the beginning of the time they started hanging out with Jesus until this day, all they've argued about is who's the greatest, who's the most committed, who's the strongest, who's going to be the best, most faithful follower of Jesus. You know, kind of, we never argue about those things. We're good people, you know. We never compare ourselves with each other, right? We're just, that wouldn't be like us. We're not like those people at all. We never compare. We, we never talk about who's the best. We don't even think about those things. Who, who is? Oh. Um, and then Peter steps up and kind of, he's kind of like the spokesperson for the group, but he doesn't have very much faith in him. You know, he goes, well, Lord, they all may fail, but I will never fail. I will even die for you, Lord. Jesus goes, die for me, Peter. You're going to, you're going to die for me, Peter. Tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, Lord, and the Bible says he, he, gets, he gets passionate. Like, he starts insisting, and, and the scriptures almost insinuate that he's, like, yelling now. Lord, I will never deny you. Okay, Peter. And then they just kind of keep on going. I, I'm sure he grabbed his sword. I will never. True story. What an encouraging dinner time, you know? Could you imagine <laughs> sitting down eating with one of your friends? Well, you guys are all a bunch of failures, but I love you. <laughs> Man, this wine is good. <laughs> uh, not the encouraging Jesus we all like to hear, you know? Well, you're all just a bunch of failures. Thanks, Lord. <laughs> and so the story goes on. They go to the garden. I'm not making this up. This actually, this actually really happened. And, and they go and they pray. And, you know, the story, you know, Jesus, Jesus is getting down praying. And, and he's sweating like blood. So crazy. He's just, he's just got so much anxiety. And, and he's got so much pressure on him. He knows he's going to bear the sin of the world. And the Father's going to reject him and turn his face from him. And he's going to die the most gruesome and horrible death. And, all these crazy things. Jesus praying, the disciples are sleeping, you know, and it's getting late. They just ate a big meal. And, and then, you know, Jesus says, all right, my betrayers are here. Judas, one of the disciples, actually goes and betrays Jesus and gets the Roman soldiers because they wanted to kill Jesus because Jesus called himself God. You just don't do that back then. You don't call yourself God. You may be able to do that now, but you just can't do that those days. You, just don't, you don't ever call yourself God around the Jewish people. It's going to kill you straight up. And, they, and so they go get him and... Uh, and and, you know, the story, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off some dude's ear. And then Jesus puts it back up on there. It's kind of nasty, but heals the guy's ear. And then they kind of go, <laughs> you know. I mean, if I was the Roman soldiers and, and some guy's ear got cut off, and then the guy that I'm arresting puts it back on, I mean, just let the guy go. You know, <laughs> all right, I get it. You know, you're, <laughs> you must be actually God, you know, whatever. But, no, they just they drag him and they bring him to Anna's. And Anna's was, a, was the father-in-law to the high priest. So he married, um, he married the, the high priest's daughter. Does that make sense? Well, uh, the Roman people ruled the Jewish realm and the Jewish uh, culture, really. They, they gave them some uh, liberty and some things, but for the most part, they controlled their lifestyle. 
And one of the things they controlled was even who would become high priest. And so in those days, uh, the Jews, when they would choose for somebody to be a high priest, or when God would make it clear that somebody was a high priest or the, the leading priest of their day, uh, they would be that until that person died. But the Romans uh, picked somebody else. Um, the Romans said, "Now nah, you're getting old. We're going to pick uh, your, your son-in-law. And so they picked this guy named Caiaphas, which is another guy which we'll hear about here in a minute. But to the Jews, the one who had the most authority and the most influence was Annas, though he wasn't to the Romans the one who had authority, and he wasn't the one who was actually the high priest. To the, to the Jews, if they were going to bring somebody uh, to be accused or bring somebody who was accused of blasphemy, they would have brought them to the highest authority, which would be the high priest. And so they bring this guy named Annas because they want to get Anna's authority and for him to say, yes, this guy's completely a blasphemer and we need to kill him. So that's where we pick up. Jesus being drugged into this high priest, this old high priest, okay? He's not really the high priest anymore to the Romans, but to the Jews, they still respect him as the guy. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, okay, the government chose that senior pastor not to be the senior pastor anymore, so they chose somebody else, but everybody still respects him as a senior pastor. Does that make sense? You with me? Okay, so they go to him. And they, and they, uh, they drag uh, Jesus. They got him all bound up. And at this point, they're probably, you know, mocking him and, and making fun of him and all those other kind of things. So Jesus at the high priest's house. He's definitely a wealthy man. Uh, he's definitely, he has servants and soldiers that are guarding his house. He's got a big fenced-in yard. And, uh, and so we pick up here, Simon Peter followed Jesus. This is John 18, verse 15. Simon Peter, Peter, right? He's the guy that said he'd never deny Jesus. Followed Jesus as did another of the disciples, which we believe was John, the guy who wrote the book. That, that other disciple was acquainted with the high priest. So he had some relationship with this guy, Annas. So he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No. I mean, this is like minutes later. <laughs> no, he said, I'm, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants or the guards, and they had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. So the picture is, uh, you know, he can't get into the gate, and so John goes, hey, can you let him in? He's one of my friends. Yeah, so he brings him in, and and he's getting cold because it's, it's late at night, and it's probably that time of the year when it's cold. And so he's getting kind of cold and shivering, and there's a group of guys over there and girls that are over there warming themselves around this fire. And so John or Peter goes over and stands next to them, and the girl looks at him and goes, aren't you one of his disciples? He goes, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not. And then you keep on reading. It's kind of like you're watching a movie. You know, you actually, this picture is actually in the, in the movie The Passion of the Christ. You could watch this. Pretty intense, but... Verse 19, so it pans now to Jesus. Jesus is literally just maybe 30, 40 yards, or 30 or 40 feet away from where, from where he is. And it says, inside the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers. So Peter's being asked about Jesus, and Jesus is being asked about Peter. Jesus is being asked about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather, I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Jesus was referring to this, uh, I don't know if I, if I need to go into all the context of this. Uh, pretty much, um, uh, Jesus is just challenging them and saying, you're not going about this the way you're supposed to. 
If you're going to accuse somebody of something, you legally have to ask others to get their um, quote, to get their, what they're thinking and what Jesus actually said. If you're going to accuse somebody of something, it was illegal. It was wrong for the Jewish people to pull somebody aside and corner them and accuse them of doing things. You had to have evidence. Does that make sense? You have to have evidence. And so Jesus is saying, God, why are you asking me? Ask. He's, he's, he's speaking back to the law. Why? You shouldn't be asking me. Ask the people that have heard me teaching forever. Why am I, I, he goes, I, I, I've spoken openly. I've told everybody. I haven't been saying anything in secret. Everything I've been saying is to people. So ask the people. Ask my followers. Ask those who were with me. Ask those who hung out with me. Why are you, you're cheating the system. It was also wrong and illegal to accuse somebody of something or to put somebody to trial, not only alone, but also at nighttime. They did it during the day, and all the people were supposed to be there. So they're breaking the law twice now, and Jesus is pretty much saying, you guys are cheating here. <laughs> not supposed to be doing this. And then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. And Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. You with me? You following me? So now he sends him to his son-in-law. Because now his son-in-law does have the authority, okay, to bring him to the Roman people if he thinks he is worthy of being condemned. He has authority to bring him to the Roman people for Jesus to be annihilated. That's a gruesome word, but verse 25. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again. So you got to get the picture. He's standing there. He's warming himself. There's guards. There's servants. They're all standing around talking, hanging out, warming themselves. Jesus has just got sopped in the face. He's being mocked. He's being spat at, and, and other things are happening. You can read in the other Gospels. And they're dragging him through the courtyard, out of the courtyard, right where Peter's sitting, and they're dragging him out, and he's bringing him to another guy's house. You following me? So they're dragging him. They got him. And as they're dragging him, as they're pulling him out of this place, one of the people standing there looks at him and goes, you're not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, no, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, <laughs> asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. You can read in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14 and in Luke 23, I think, 22, Luke 22, of this same story. And Peter, the Bible says, on the third time, he starts cursing at these people. He gets fired up. He starts cursing at them and saying, no, I am not one of his followers. In the same way that he insisted to Jesus that he would never deny Jesus, he insisted to these guys that he never knew Jesus. Just an hour later. Hope you're encouraged. <laughs> Hebrews 4.16, uh, Hebrews 4.14 through 16. Inasmuch then as we have a great high priest. Okay, now we're talking about high priest again. Speaking of Jesus, who has already ascended and passed through the heavens. Jesus, right? He ascended and he's in heaven right now. What happened? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have shared feelings with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation. But he is one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without even sinning. Let us then fiercely and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. Good verse, huh? Cool. Anybody? Let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to reveal Jesus to us. Cool? Lord, we love you only because you love us. God, your, our love for you is, is, uh, is conditional. Our love for you uh, fails. And our love for you and commitment to you uh, is not totally steadfast and sure. Though we want it to be, it's just not. But God, your love and commitment to us is so sure and steadfast. And I pray, God, that you would show us your commitment to us tonight, and that you're unwavering, and that we would find peace and joy in that. In Jesus' name, amen. As you read the scripture, we have to ask a couple questions. Uh, who is Jesus and who are we, right? We've been talking about that. I have this, I have this um, amazing uh, relationship with my son. It's amazing because just having another human being being called your son is amazing in and of itself. It's just, it's just a blast. Or your daughter, whatever. But for me, for my son, uh, it's, it's uh, next to my wife, it is definitely my favorite relationship. I can't express to you my love and my affection and just all of that just from my kid. Mike, you would know. And, and so uh, Zayden is just, he's just, he's just fearless, man. The guy is just crazy. Uh, he, he, what he'll do is he, he just likes to test to see if I'll really catch him. Okay. He, he, he likes to test uh, to see if, if he, if he runs off of this thing to see, I mean, he just, like, if you set him up here, and he saw me, he would just start booking it running, and he'd just fall off, and, and just expecting that I'm going to catch him. Just, he's just expecting that me or, or Ashley will catch him. And other things that I do is I'll, I'll hold him up in the air, and hold him by his legs. And then he'll just, he'll just go limp and fall backwards or something, and, I, and, and he just expects I'm going to catch him. He, he doesn't even question it. He just, he just, well, peace, you know, and just, and just drops, and it's, it's like, you know, it's kind of scary. I don't do that around Ashley very much because, yeah, it's not good. Don't do those kind of things. I didn't even, that's not even true. I just made that up. That's a, that's a fake story. Uh, but he, he, he just, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of scared for the day when he's like up on a balcony. And he's like, well, I don't really see my dad, but hey, whatever, you know. Like, no, I'm not there. You know, I can't catch you. But I'm just amazed about, because like today, if, like, I wouldn't do that. Like, you know, you know, Gabe Mazer's a strong guy, but the dude is just not going to catch me if I jump off a balcony. It's, I don't expect him to, you know, like, I'm expecting to have a broken ankle or something. Uh, you just don't do things like that. And I've learned, I've learned something about Zayden. That Zayden, Zayden is, is more confident in my strength to catch him and my ability to catch him than he is to try to stand strong. It's it's crazy because he he actually likes to grow go weak to see if I catch him. I mean he likes to actually just see if 
if he goes limp this way, if I'm going to catch him? You know, I hope I don't ever miss him. That'd be horrible, you know. It ruins the whole philosophy, you know. He's like, well, my dad sucks, you know. I thought he was amazing. Uh, but he has this he has this faith. He has this trust that he just goes, I just I know that if I go weak, I'm confident that my dad is strong. It's really amazing. And he doesn't have this confidence that if he starts falling that he can pull himself back up, you know, like babies can't do that kind of stuff. If you're if if you've seen a baby that can, it's probably possessed or something. Like that's weird. If it just like starts like doing this, you know, it like does a 90 degree angle with its back, you know, you're like, oh gosh, <laughs> that's kind of, and it's boom, you know, like, you know, if, if you see your baby, a baby or, or, or friend's baby or something do that, just call 911, you know, something's wrong with that baby, because uh, babies don't just do things like that, you know, and uh, if it happens with Zayden, I'll tell you guys, it'll be fun, but I, I'm sure it won't, and so I, I've just started to realize Zayden just has so much confidence in my strength. I've realized that there's a, there's a parallel here in our relationship with God. Whether we have one or not, as human beings, we tend to be more confident in our commitment to God than we are in His commitment to us. We tend to be more confident, more sure of our commitment to God to pray, to worship, to read my Bible. I'm more confident in me doing those things that I will have life than I am that if I don't do any of those things that I still have life in Him. I have more confidence naturally. We naturally have more confidence in all the things that we can do for God than in all the things He's done for us. I have a question. When, when you fail, when you blow it, and to some of us that may mean a, a, that can mean a variety of things, right? When you blow it, when, when you fail. And if you say you don't fail, you're a liar and you just failed. <laughs> so when you fail, do you draw near to God or do you draw away from God? It's a rhetorical question. Do you draw near to God? Just ask yourself. Be honest. Or do you naturally draw away from God? When you fail, do you naturally draw near to your Christian brothers and sisters and tell them about it? Or do you draw away from it? Do you draw away from your Christian brothers and sisters? Just think about that. Because if you draw near to God and to your brothers and sisters, then you have confidence in his commitment to you. But if you draw away, it's because you have confidence in your commitment to him. And when your commitment to him fails, then you have fear and shame and guilt and condemnation, and you just hide in the back and you don't go to church anymore. You just kind of give up. You with me? Peter. 
Peter was pretty sure, wasn't he? You can read it. If you want to, if you want to read it, you can read it in John, uh, John 13. In John 13, you can read the story, the end of John 13, of Peter saying that he, you know, he, he would die for Jesus. You can read it in Mark chapter 14. You can read it in Ma- uh, Luke chapter 22. And you can read it in Matthew chapter 26. You can read it in all of those um, in all of those passages, you can read about how Peter just insisted, Jesus, I will never deny you. Peter was pretty sure. He was actually so sure, he started, he started yelling at Jesus. I mean, there's some pretty sureness there. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's pretty sure. You're like, he thought he was for sure, for sure. And in this story, uh, you see two things. One, uh, you see who Peter is. And two, you see who Jesus is. And when Jesus says to Peter in John chapter 14, he says to Peter and the other disciples, when, when Peter, in the end of John 13, because in, in, when it was written, it wasn't like John goes, okay, here's the end of chapter 13. And now I'm going to start chapter 14. It was, he just wrote it like a book. You follow me? And, and so we've had some people uh, who have translated the Bible for us and tried to help us out by putting chapters and stuff in there for us. And so sometimes the chapters are helpful, sometimes they're actually hurtful. But in this situation, between John 13 and John 14, it's actually not helpful because they actually go together. Because what happens is Peter says, Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. I'm staying strong. I'm I'm, going to die for you. That's kind of what he's saying. And and then it goes into John 14, and and Jesus goes, don't let your hearts be troubled. I know I told you you're all going to fail me, but don't be discouraged. You're like, thanks, bro. It doesn't make any sense. I know I said that you're going to utterly fail me, but, but, don't, but don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Jesus was trying to get them to realize, guys, you may not be totally committed to me, but I'm totally committed to you. You may fail, but I will not fail you. You may become unfaithful and lack in your commitment and screw up, but I won't fail you, and I won't lack in my commitment. I know, Peter, you're going to do the worst of sins. You know the worst of sins was? I mean, when Jesus walked about, he said crazy things like, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you before my father. Peter did, in their eyes, he did the worst thing you could possibly do. You don't deny Jesus. I mean, it's one thing if you went off and beat somebody up or something. Like, that's one thing. Cut off somebody's ear. (laughs) But it's a whole other thing if you deny Jesus three times. You following me? Jesus goes, guys, I know you're going to completely fail, but don't be discouraged. When you fail, don't be discouraged because I left or I'm leaving and I'm going to go into the heavens and I'm going to prepare a mansion. I'm going to prepare a house for you. And I'm going to come back. If I told you I'm going to build it, I'm not going to leave that house empty. I'm going to make sure you're going to get into that house. I'm not going to give up on you until you're sitting in that house. You may give up on me, but I'm not going to give up on you. And I will make sure that I do a specific work in you. So even when you completely fail, I will build a faith and a hope in you again to turn back to me. I mean, Peter, man, 
one of the translations, and I think it's in, in Matthew 26, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, the devil, he's, he's, pray, he's asked to completely sift you like wheat. In other words, Peter, he's asked to destroy you, bro. He's asked to kill you. And so I've prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed that your faith won't completely fail. Like the Greek, the Greek picture there of what Jesus was saying is like a solar eclipse. It's a solar eclipse. What happens in a solar eclipse? Well, the moon goes in front of the sun, right? And then it pops out on the other side. And so what happens is the sun slowly becomes smaller and smaller and smaller as the moon, right, comes into the sun. It becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And just before the sun is completely covered, right before it's completely covered and completely gone, pops out on the other side. <laughs> and then the sun is able to be seen more and more and more and more and more. You with me? And so Jesus tells Peter, Peter, I've prayed. Not that your faith wouldn't fail, but your faith wouldn't completely. I mean, bro, you're going to come to the very end of yourself. You're going to, all your strength and all of your commitment and all of your promises to me are going to completely fail. But I'm just going to leave just enough faith. So you can begin to believe again that it's not because you made a promise to me that I'm committed to you, but because I made a promise to you that I'm committed to you. We naturally have more confidence in our promises to God than we do in his promises to us. In this passage, Peter does the utmost thing that he promised he would never do. And he did it three times. And the Bible says he went away and wept bitterly. He completely failed. He failed. Do you know what in America, you know what America teaches us? To never be a failure. You know what Jesus teaches us? Be a failure. Because until you learn to be a failure, you'll never learn that my grace and my strength in your life is all that you need. Until you learn that you're a complete failure, you'll never learn that I'm victorious in your life. Because all your commitments and all your promises and all your strength and all of your worship and all of your praying and all of your asking and all of your believing is completely worthless to me. Unless you understand that no matter whether you do any of that or not, I'm committed to you. And if you believe that, if you believe that whether you do any of that or not, if you believe that I am committed to you no matter what, and you respond out of that, then it becomes true love and true worship. But if your love and if your devotion and your commitment is because you're afraid that God isn't going to love you and that God is not going to be committed to you and God's not going to provide for you and God's not going to help you out, then your faith is not in God's commitment to you. Your faith is in your commitment to God. You know, I've, lear I've learned something this week and last week. I've learned that I've been taught in the Christian circle and by Christian people 
good people. And I've taught it, that if I don't stay committed to God, and, and, if, and, if, and if I don't get up every single morning and pray and ask God to help me, then I won't have help that day. If I don't get up every single morning and spend time with God, I won't have love. If I don't get up every single morning and confess all my stuff to the Lord and ask Him to give me grace that day, well, you know, brother, God gives grace to the humble, so you won't have grace. I've been taught and I've taught that we have to get up every single morning and make sure that we stay true to our commitment. That we'll pray and ask God, and if we do, if we do that, then man, He'll cover our back. And so the truth is, we have more faith and more confidence in us being committed to God than we do in Him being committed to us. What I'm saying is this. If you got a kid, and you wake up in the morning, and, and, and you can't actually get alone with God, if you wake up in the morning, and you can't get alone with God, then what your faith says is flawed and it doesn't work. And God doesn't work. Because it doesn't fit into your cute little, you know, commitment. If you get up in the morning and you realize, oh crap, I'm late, I'm running late to school. Dang, I didn't spend time with the Lord. And then you begin to tell yourself, because I didn't spend time with the Lord, I'm not going to have love and I'm not going to have grace and I'm not going to have patience and I'm not going to have joy and I'm not going to have peace and I'm not going to have... Because... What you have chosen to limit God in is my commitment to him and not his commitment to me. I'm going somewhere, follow me. But if I wake up in the morning and I choose to believe his promises, that he said he would never leave me, and he said in Romans 5, 5, that his, his love has already been poured out in my heart by his spirit, and I choose to believe that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. If I choose to believe that I'm seated with him in heavenly places, I choose to believe that whether I spend time with him or not. My goodness, his grace provides all that I need. And his love is already there when I choose to make a decision. He said he's already filled me up because the New Testament is a past tense and response to a past tense. That I'm already filled and I'm already loved and I'm already begotten as his son. I'm already seated in heavenly places and now my life is a response. I don't go spend time with God to go get filled up anymore because I already have faith and believe and I've chosen to understand What the Word of God says, that I am filled. I can choose to believe that and respond to love Him. I'm not saying don't spend time with the Lord. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying what are your motives to spend time with the Lord? What is your motive? Is it because you need something from Him? Or is it because you've already gotten every single thing from Him and now you want to worship Him? Those are two completely different things. And God wants us as people, as I was saying earlier, God wants us to wake up in the morning and put our mind and put our attention and put our commitment in His promises for us, not our promises to Him. He wants us to wake up and go, Lord, before I even pray today, You love me so much and You've already filled me. You know, and we'll just keep, if you want to go further, let's go further. Let's let's think about another thing. 
If we say, if we, if we want to think logically here, and we think, I can't love unless I first go spend time with God. Okay, I, I, this is what I'm going through right now. I, you gotta be, it's gotta be, we got to be reasonable here. You with me? If I cannot love unless I go spend time with God, and I ask you, where is that in the Bible? If that's the philosophy, then where did you get the ability to go love God? To go choose to spend time with Him. Well, I'm denying myself. Yeah, but it's still a choice to love. So where'd you get that choice? Are you following me? Are you following me? Where'd you get that? You had the choice because you had the choice. God says in Deuteronomy, choose this day a blessing or a curse. You have been set free. You have been liberated. You have been completely set free to choose every day because I've been saved and I've been blessed and I've been filled and I've been loved and I've been adopted and I've been begotten. I've been called his son and I'm seated with him and I'm filled with his life and with his love and with his grace. And you know what the good news is? He keeps filling. And not because we choose, but he just chooses that he's going to work in us. Philippians 2, I talked about it last week. Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. He didn't say it's God who works in you when you go and pray. He said it's God who works in you. I don't know where you are right now in your walk with God, but no matter where you are in your walk with God, if you have called Jesus Christ Lord, then I promise you God is working inside your life right now. And you can either choose to believe that he's done a good work by faith. Choose to believe that, that he's seated you in heavenly places. He's called you his son or his daughter. He loves you unconditionally. He's filled your heart with his love and with his, I don't really feel like it. It doesn't really matter what you feel. You can choose to believe that. Or you can limit God and say, no, 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 but I got I to gotta work though. You know, I got to go earn it. I got to go get it. Your commitments will fail. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to necessarily discourage you. I'm just trying to under, help us understand and get to a place where we realize I'm not committed to God because if I fail my commitment, he'll fail me. I'm committed to God because he's committed to me. I love God because he loves me. I bless God because he's blessed me. I praise God, but he's, he's chosen to praise me by calling me his son. He doesn't praise me like worship me in a sense, but he praises me by saying, you are my son, and I bless you. I adore him because he adores me. I'm talking past tense. Man, when you read Paul, that's why he starts off every one of his letters with, look what all God did. Look at this. And then he, and then he finishes it with, now because of that, this is how you should live your life. You don't, you don't hear Paul telling us to go get away and go get things from God. You don't hear that. But that's our culture. Because our culture has taught us to be independent, to be an individual, to be an entrepreneur, to get, not that those things are necessarily, not to be an entrepreneur is wrong, not to build a business is wrong, but to be an entrepreneur in the sense of I'm going to be successful in and of myself. Well, I'm just going to tell you, God's going to continue to run you out of your strength until you give up and go, yeah, I'm a failure. Get it. Because if we're, if we have any success in us, then we don't need Jesus at all. Because if we have a, a little bit of success, then we can go, well, I'm going to find that success, and I'm going to be successful. No, you're not. You're going to fail. Jesus didn't say to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times unless 
you know, you get it right right now. He just goes, Peter, bro, you're going to fail, man. But just know, I prayed for you. And after you've almost completely failed, you're going to turn around and you're going to strengthen your brothers. Because before you failed, you wouldn't be able to strengthen your brothers. You know why? Because you didn't have strength in you. So i got to kill your strength so that my strength can be in you. i got to show you that your wisdom doesn't work and your reasoning doesn't work and your philosophies don't work. That your, that your commitments just fail. So you can get to a place and go, oh man, he's committed to me. And he saved me. And he loves me. And he's, he completely loves me. And he keeps loving me. And he keeps giving me grace. Grace, grace, grace. It's just nonstop. He just keeps giving it to me. And I can choose to believe it and walk in it or choose to go, no, I don't have anything. God just, you know, he just, he's just choosing not to bless me right now. <laughs> do, you, do you see it's all mindset? You see it's all, it's all decision. In that passage, the overarching theme is this. Peter was asked about his commitment to Jesus. And Peter denied it. Jesus was asked about his commitment to his disciples. And Jesus didn't deny it. He knows you're going to fail. He knows you've already failed. He's not excusing your sin. He's not saying go and blow it. He's talking about you failing in your commitments and in your ability to try to become a better person. And your ability to stay committed to Jesus. If it's out of your ability and out of your strength, because you know how you hear people all the time, you know, don't do it in, don't do it in your strength. What the heck does that mean? We heard it talked about. We heard it. People pray it. You know. Well, what it normally means is I got to go get away with Jesus and get filled up so that I can go give. But that's still your strength, because it, it, it depends on you going away and getting with Jesus. Does that does that make sense? Rather than. Dang it, I woke up late, I got to run to school, but I believe Christ is in me. And I'm going to love today. And I'm going to bless today. And I'm going to worship him today. And I'm going to adore him today. And I'm going to tell people about him today. Because I'm so filled. I miss being alone with him. I can't wait to go be alone with him again because I really want to because I love him. But, but it doesn't really matter if I'm alone or not. I'm already filled. I'm already blessed. I'm already saved. I'm already adopted. So if you hear me saying, Gabriel's discouraging us from spending a long time with Jesus, I don't know what, how many times i got to say it. I'm not saying that. You sh- it should be a response to his commitment to you. Does that make sense? Not, not a, i got to go spend time with Jesus because if I don't, I'm going to fail today. Oh, okay. God bless me today. Oh, I'm just a friggin' loser. Man, I wish you would save me today, Lord. God, give me grace. Gosh, I need strength today, God. I pray you'd seat me in heaven, Lord, with you. Lord, would you be with me today? Just be with me today, Lord. God, would you fill me with your love, God? Here I am, God. And you know what's, you know what it's like? It's like it's like somebody sitting at a dinner table with a huge, you know, plethora of food and going, Would somebody give me food? God! You know, I, 
How many times do I got to ask before it gets put in my mouth? You know, it's more like you're sitting at a dinner table and you're already full and food just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And now your job is to take the food and go find somebody and serve them. Here, here's some food. Taste it. It's really good. You know, because Jesus says this amazing promise, and I, I've never believed it until now. I'm starting to realize it. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you believe in me, you'll never hunger. But I still hunger. You know why? It's because I've chosen to believe that he hasn't met my hunger. I've chosen to believe that, that like the manna in the Old Testament, I had to get up in the morning and go get food in the morning. I got to go. Got to get in my tent and go get some food in the afternoon. Because this is what they teach all the time. I got to go get my food in the afternoon. Okay. And, and oh, I got to go get more food. Okay. Okay. Oh, geez. Okay. I feel better now. Jesus says, you guys, I am that. And if you eat me one time, if you partake of me, you're done. You're done. I, there, there you go. Because, you know, at the end of it, he said, you guys have been working all week to get that food. Just on the seventh day, just take a rest. Jesus says, I am the rest. What, is that? what the heck does that mean? That means you don't have to work anymore. You're just done. You're filled. Now, that's the eternal reality that you're already done. But right now, we've still got junk. You with me? Junk. We still have, like, problems and, and wrong things in us, okay? So what do you got to do to fix those? Nothing. Just love people and love him, and he does that in your life. He'll, he'll make it happen. You're saying I don't have to do anything to become a better person? No, because if you did, then it's all based on you. Well, isn't there anything? Yeah, just hold fast to the hope of your confession. That he's committed to you. Don't stop, just don't stop hoping that he's committed to you. Put your faith in his commitment. Put your faith in his promise. Just stay there. Just trust that he, Lord, I just trust today you're committed to me. And that's my only hope. Would you stand up with me, please? You know, I understand there may be some of you disagree with me, and I'm okay with that. I don't always agree with everybody everybody says, you know. But I, I, I challenge you, study it yourself. Be Bereans. I said it last week. I will say this. I will say this. Four years ago, God told me to read Ephesians chapter 1. And I had, a, I, had a, I had a very real, intimate time with the Lord, and I've never been the same four years ago. He said, read Ephesians chapter 1. And just, just read it for what it says. And long story short, I began to realize, I read some of that today in Ephesians 2, I read Ephesians 1, I started to realize, wow, it's already all done. And then as I started reading the Bible from that understanding, I started realizing more and more, wow, I, everything's just done, really. It's just me loving him and loving people. I, that's kind of what it looks like. Well, then I kind of got away from that a little bit and started forgetting about what this life looks like. And just two weeks ago, my goodness, <laughs> just two weeks ago, week and a half, I came to this place where I realized my commitments just fail, but he doesn't fail. And I realized I'm already filled, and I'm already saved. And I'm going to test this, Lord. 
And I'm going to see, and I said this last week, I know, I'm saying it again, because I want to encourage you in this. I'm going to test, Lord. I'm going to see. I'm not, I'm not going to go get alone and get filled up with you. I'm just going to see. Can I love people today? And you know what I have found? You know what I have found? You know what I have found? I found that I actually can love people more. You know what else I have found? I found that not only can I love people more, but I don't want to stop loving people. Because you know why? It's not based off my strength and wisdom and reasoning. It's based off his constant grace in my life and his constant love in my life. The Bible says in, in John chapter 1, verse 14, those who have received Christ have received grace upon grace. And you know what the Greek te- tense there is? It means they have received grace upon 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 grace. Upon gra- it's never stopped receiving grace. That's you. That's me. So if we leave tonight, as we leave tonight, and as we, as we ponder tonight, I, th- all I'm saying is fix your mind and your hope and your commitment on his commitment to you. Think more about his love for you, not your love for him. Think more about his promises to you, not your promises to him. And allow that to change your mind, renew your mind, until you start responding to that and loving people. Are you with me? You with me? It works. It works. Jesus is unwavering, but I'm an, I am wavering. I'm a wavering man, as Peter. But when I am unfaithful, he remains faithful. Amen? I do love you. My heart for you is that you would Continue to see how God thinks about you, how he feels about you, and what he's done for you. And just respond to that. Love him back. And spend time with him every day because you want to. And go love people, not because you feel like you have to, but because you really want to. Meditate on his word. Meditate on his promises. And you'll see your life will become different. You'll start realizing that your promises fail. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're so rich in mercy. God, that you're so rich in grace. God, we thank you that you've seated us in heaven with you. God, you've filled us with your spirit. And you're continually, whatever that even means, filling us with your spirit and strengthening us and pouring out love and pouring out grace and giving us peace and joy. And I pray for your people tonight, God. I pray for all of us here who have found that they fail, who have found that they have wavered, and they question even that you are real, and they have denied and and gone back and forth and realized that they're just not good enough to become a good person. I pray, God, that they would realize that you're good enough to make us a good person and that you're good enough to call us your child and you're good enough to make a home in heaven for us. And you're good enough to finish what you started. I pray, God, that your promises and what your word has spoken over your people in your word, God, would ring in the hearts of your people all night, all day tomorrow, throughout this week, that we would continue to set our heart and set our hope and set our trust and set our faith in what you've done for us, what you're doing for us, and what you promise you will do for us. God, help us to respond. What can I do for you, God? And if you evolve your mercy.
I love you in Jesus' name. Amen.